Okay, yeah, we're live. Seconds. So <laughs> we're starting this. Uh, first and foremost, I want to welcome Selene Benavides, who's the CFO at Alpha, to the Charity Charge Show today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is kind of an, obviously an interesting time of things going on. We've been running the Charity Charge Show and our podcast for um, for a while now. It's something that I've been really proud of. But just given the nature of everything that's happening in the world, you know, what I've tried to do with the past past couple of weeks and moving forward is just have leaders like yourself on that can share tips, strategies, wisdom um, with all of the nonprofits we work with and just really the nonprofit community in general. Um, I think that, you know, as I've kind of prefaced each episode, obviously there's unprecedented challenges from a health perspective that are going on um, locally, nationally, and globally. Um, uh -huh. I also, you know, have just been trying to reflect on what we do at charity charge and what we're all about. And I know that this is facing and hurting a lot of nonprofits that either are on the front front lines, um, or because things are shut down and just given their mission and their service, a lot of their programs, cash flow, other things are really struggling. And, um, I know you're a dedicated person, um, and have committed, uh, a lot of your career and currently what you're doing, obviously to the nonprofits. So, um, you recognize how vital they are to society in general. So Absolutely. that's a little bit of my ramble, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us. Um, we were chatting last week and you mentioned so many things. So anyway, with that rant, um, you know, we've been working together now, uh, I think since the summer or fall, uh, I've really appreciated charity charge and alpha being partners together. Um, Absolutely. and, um, and, uh, do you, do you mind sharing a bit of your background and talking about what alpha does? Yeah. So our purpose in life and why we exist is because we want to connect more Latinos for better impact. So how do we do that? One, we want to make sure that they're knowledgeable and prepared for uh, society, for life as they graduate from college and go on to grad school and get the top jobs in corporations, the Fortune 500 or 1000 actually. And so that's what we help them. But in order for us to do that, we need to have a strong infrastructure, a strong foundation here at Alpha. So we're looking at every process, um, making sure that we're implementing efficiencies and cost effectiveness everywhere we're at. We are a decentralized organization. What does that mean? We have a national, uh, national office that is also virtual with 46 chapters across the United States and about 125 student chapters. So pretty big footprint when you look at it. It takes a lot of uh, horsepower to keep engagement across, especially in today's uh, environment, keep engagement of these student chapters, professional chapters and the national office. So we're trying to create that infrastructure. And then last but not least, we're looking to highlight. We have a lot of successes in our society, a lot of students who have made it in top jobs, who have uh, excelled in their careers. And we wanna highlight those. Uh, we don't do enough of that and we wanna do more. I think the mission, it's incredible from day one, you know, when you shared it with me, uh, whenever the phone rings and, and it's a, a nonprofit calling in, I'm always learning, you know, something new, which, which is, you know, what drives me and is so fun for me. I think just, I want to get back to that and that, and it's all about mission, but, um, you know, I, I believe that a few of the things that we're going to cover on today, um, are a lot of the, the things that you've learned along the way. So, do you mind also uh, talking a little bit about your background just in finance in general and some of the experience you've had um, in your career? Sure. 
So I started in the corporate world, uh, worked there for 15 years, and decided to uh, sit on the national board of directors for a not-for-profit sister organization to Alpha. Great experience, learned a lot, uh, gave a lot, and uh, said, you know, I want to continue that route. Uh, however, it was a, a role in outside of Austin, where I, I live now. So I decided to come back and do some consulting because I also am, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur by heart. So I really enjoy solving problems, getting um, companies, non-for-profits where they need to be to scale. So I decided to go into consulting for a little while. But with that same uh, top of mind, I also continue, wanted to continue working with a non-for-profit because I think there's a big need to make sure that, again, we have a great foundation. And Alpha uh, came knocking and I said, yes, let's let's see how we can help you. They were $5 million in debt at the time. Uh, had to restructure the entire uh, accounting finance infrastructure that they had. Uh, we outsourced it. That's the way we, we kind of found some uh, cost effectiveness and efficiencies right away. And then for the last three, four years, got us out of debt. We are no longer in debt. Uh, actually, we have cash in the bank that is going to push us through this uh, coronavirus uh, times. Uh, but other than that, I mean, we really just focused and put our heads down and made sure that we were frugal in times where we needed to do it, but invested in things that we needed to invest that would make a greater impact. So that's kind of what I've been doing for the last you know, 10 years. And that's why I was so impressed. And I think ever more so, we're now going to get into the meat of some things that I think are top of mind for a lot of individuals running organizations. Um, you, you have such a, a such wisdom from just inheriting a mess, so to speak, you know, stepping in and being someone that was willing to roll up their sleeves. You talk about, you know, stepping in as CFO of a nonprofit when they're $5 million in debt. Um, I'm curious, you know, and, and it's also context for you, you know, as, as you know, the majority of nonprofits in the United States, if you just look at it in just pure numbers, the bulk are certainly below a million and then in revenue and then even more of a percent of the market are below $500,000 in revenue. But I think a yeah. lot of the things that you've been able to uncover and do are best practices that regardless of size of revenue, um, you know, organizations should strive to do. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious, starting with um, when you stepped in and you recognized that the organization was $5 million in debt, what were some of the practical things, you know, like what, what's the first thing that ran through your mind? What are some of the um, practical things that you did to start getting an organization out of debt? Well, obviously that was a, a huge onion to peel, uh, peel. So what I did was I kind of looked at all the contracts in place, right? Who were our vendors? Who were our, our funders or donors? Who was actually giving us the money and who was actually taking it? So after, after looking um, at those contracts, I evaluated which was with the top priority and started negotiating terms with them, whether it was a you know, payment plan to get them um, paid because there was, it, for no reason we wanted to just get away with uh, expenses incurred for uh, by our former fathers. We actually wanted to, you know, do right for our vendors too. So we evaluated the contracts. Uh, we negotiated payment terms. We also looked at our fixed and variable costs to make sure that, which were the ones that we absolutely had to have, payroll being one of them. Uh, but even in payroll, looking at how we could be more efficient and effective in providing the services that we needed to provide and still not having um, additional costs. So we continued doing that for the last four or five years, managing cash flow, right? We have 46 chapters, 25 really, really active chapters. That means they're having events at least every week or every month and uh, incurring expenses. 
we don't have a, a credit card. We did not have a credit card at the time. Uh, thanks to Charity Card, we do now. <laughs> uh, but we didn't have a credit card at the time. And so we needed to find ways to reimburse the uh, volunteers who were incurring expenses on behalf of Alpha. So we, that's how we leverage technology. We learned that uh, a lot of the platform or stack solution that our outsource company, Concero Global, had fit right in. So we implemented those and started um, making sure that those were best practices. For example, uh, in leveragingbill.com, uh, we found that we were able to pay our expense reimbursements uh, in, within 15 days versus the 30 days that they were used to. We were closing the books uh, almost 30, 45 days in the rear. Uh, we're doing that now in 10 days. So a lot of just peeling the onion and finding ways that, you know, in our normal day-to-day -day accounting finance infrastructure, we do. It's just Alpha didn't have that infrastructure and now it's put in place. Mm -hmm. And even with some of like, those are some like, being an organization of your size and scale, both in chapters, people involved, um, and, um, and revenue and whatnot, um, those systems that you're talking about are, are pretty advanced. You know, I wanna ask you a, a couple of basic questions, just give me a perspective of, say an organization that's, that's new, um, Say there's an executive director running the organization. Um, perhaps they're the founder. They're unbelievably passionate about what they're doing. That's why they started this nonprofit, but they have no formal background in finance. Can you talk through or kind of explain in your own term, words to them, you know, the concept of cash flow and why that's so important? Sure. So you don't do anything without cash, whether it's through a credit or a line of credit, a credit card or a line of credit or just cash in the bank. It's, it's nobody can purchase anything without that these days. So you really need to look for ways to um, enhance those. So cash flow, again, what, what is the cash coming in? What are those receipts that you're getting? Cash uh, receipts, checks, dollars, uh, credit card, merchant fees, whatever you're getting in. And then you look at those and then you look at what are, what's your pipeline look like? What are your fundings look like? Is it through a program? Is it through uh, donors? Is it through a membership drive? Is it through a gala? When do you anticipate those cash, um, cash income coming in? Once you have that, you kind of look at, okay, well, this is the cash that I have to work with this month. So now I need to look at my fixed and bearable expenses. What are those that I, there's nothing I can do. I have to pay them every month. And what are those that I can either, um, negotiate terms or even on a, on a variable, say this month, I don't need it, therefore I'm not gonna use it or a quarter or a year, right? You evaluate those. And then at the end of the day after that, you know, you subtract from your income, your expenses, and now you know what your net cash um, is going to be at the end of that month. And honestly, when I started first doing this, I, I was doing cash flow weekly. I needed to know exactly what I was working with every Friday before I made payments every Monday. So um, did that as frequent as I could do it. Now we're at a point where we're doing cash flow every other two weeks because I know what are my fixed expenses that I'm gonna pay at the beginning of the month and then the variable expenses get paid at the end of the month so that I can make decisions uh, accordingly. So, so those are some of the basic things about a cash yep. flow. And even, I mean, I wanna chime in on a practical perspective, you know, we're a social enterprise and so mm -hmm. cash flow matters to us. I mean, it matters to mm -hmm. everyone, whether you're a for-profit, a non-profit, a social enterprise, Absolutely. you know, if you've got, if you're taking in dollars and you've got to pay out dollars, uh, you know, you got to make sure you can keep the lights on and budget accordingly and, and all of those things. 
for us, I'm just sharing it to a practical perspective. Sure. Look, there's a lot of power even in, um, for example, Excel or Google Sheets. Um, and yep. so that's where personally, you know, we keep a lot of our cash flow and our projections to model out and forecast out. Um, are you, are you using Excel, Google sheets, that type of stuff, or, or where, where are you uh, kind of inputting these variables and, and tracking all of this? Yep. We are, uh, our, our, well, one of our great partners is Google and definitely we leverage their, their, uh, services. So yes, we, we've been doing cash flow through, through our, uh, Excel files. I mean, we, you could do it through modules of the enterprise system you use, like in, in our Example, we use Intact, um, NetSuite, QuickBooks. Most non-for-profits right now are probably on QuickBooks, to be honest with you. Uh, small organizations will leverage QuickBooks. They have their own cash flow, but honestly, it's such a simple exercise that just doing an Excel is just, that's good. Yep. And a lot of it, again, for people that are listening, it's, it's just, what are you taking in and what are you spending? You know, and it's just kind of looking at those, those are the... The, the two things to to track at the highest level and then it nets out, you know, with, with, yeah. with the number from a projected P and L perspective. So, um, but look, this was a really, really hard lesson for me to learn because I started charity charge being really passionate about the idea the concept, um, being naturally a creative type of entrepreneur and where I've really had to hone my skills and or bring smart people around charity charge is on this finances and operations side. And I think that, curious your perspective on this, just what you've seen with, with other um, companies that you've started or been a part of, um, I find that it's really hard to have someone that, that, that does everything. There's naturally like that visionary, creative uh, sales and marketing uh, type of person. And then there's that finance and operations. Like wh what's just your experience when I just kind of put that up to you? To comment so on. I'll be honest, I've been put um, in uh, in spots where I've had to do everything, right? It's an organization, a not-for-profit organization. Sometimes you go through those downturns and you really have to be uh, efficient in how you do it. And sometimes a CFO has to wear a CEO hat or a sales and marketing lead, whatever that may be. And what I've learned is we definitely can't have all. I'm not the, I'm, I'm left brain, I'm not right brain. So I don't have the creativity that most uh marketing salespeople have, but I know how to put agreements in place. I know uh, the products that we sell because obviously I'm evaluating from a financial in uh, impact. So you just get creative and you figure it out, but totally in times where I've really needed to uh, make sure that we're focused in the areas that we best know, hire the right person that does sales and marketing. For me, it's sales and marketing. For you, it may be, you know, uh, finance it individual, but definitely get somebody that at least has the skill set to help you out. And, and that is where I also want to kind of steer the conversation into when I think about organizations that right now, maybe times were good. They were able to, you know, let's say they were even doing a couple hundred thousand in revenue a year. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they were relying on, let's say fundraisers, galas, events, mm -hmm. and, and that's canceled now. So they're trying yes. to think of ways to preserve cash flow. Um, you know, there's probably, a, and they're a smaller organization, um, as they think about their board, right? They think about quote volunteers or people that can get involved. It seems to me that for a smaller organization, you know, you could find someone on your board that really has a lot of these financial skill sets. Yeah. But while that seems like obvious, giving just the, to the extent you can share about alpha, um, mm -hmm. 
and just your experience with the board in general, what ultimately, in your opinion, both, well, I would say both from an IRS legal perspective and then just your opinion, what is the purpose of a board when it comes to finances? And what are some things that you've noticed that um, great boards do and then some things that bad boards do that could lead an organization to be in a, a, a really challenging spot financially? Yeah, so first, the, the role of the board is governance, right? They, their role is to have oversight into everything that's happening at a non-for-profit organization or any organization for that matter, um, whether it's, it's by asking questions or by learning through presentations from the staff or uh, just doing their own research, right, from other non-for-profits. What are they doing? So governance and oversight is very key. I think what, uh, what's important that a board does is, one, address a finance committee, right? Create a finance committee or not a committee to help you make sure that at least they have the skills to ensure that what they're looking at is the right things. I'm a big verify and validate kind of person. So when I was on the national board of the not-for-profit I actually took the CFO role for, I looked at financials like if they were my financials, right? It wasn't because somebody was presenting a, a, a financial statement that I was going to take it for what it was. I needed to go see, okay, so how, what's driving that, you know, on a, on the monthly trend for the last 12 months, what's driving that? And then how exactly do we manage that, right? Asking the right questions. I think for Alpha, the finance committee, uh, actually the organization at one time focused on finance and accounting, and they have a very strong finance and accounting um, auditing committees, which ask the questions, right? And my role was to produce the answers. And that's exactly what they did. So I never, I try to anticipate what they're going to need. And I never refrain from giving them the information they ask, good or bad, right? For some time there, we weren't sharing financial statements out to anybody outside the finance committee for that reason that it wasn't a nice book to read. I'll just say that. It was a nice book to read, but uh, we needed to read it. And together we figured out how we were going to get out of where we were and make sure that it never happened again. So besides just looking and verifying and validating, we also need to make sure that you can put process and policies together to ensure that um, the infrastructure is set up correctly. And what are some of the things that you've, when you've had like an, just an incredible, great board, um, what are a few of the characteristics that, that you found, you know, just about, about the people, the personalities um, when, when, you've, when you've been around a really strong board? Okay. Well, actually, I've been around several strong and several weak, <laughs> but uh, well, on the strong is, side, and, I wanna, and I'll and tell you to, which was. Yeah, and I, I want to say this too. I mean, everything that, that, that I want to be doing, obviously, in life and with Charity Charge and this podcast is about authenticity and about being real. Yes. And this is, this is just what I experience time and time again, because I'm typically, you know, interfacing directly with the executive director or CFO or COO at an organization and mm -hmm. not certainly not all, but so many of them, um, you know, vent and share to me their frustrations and their challenges with their boards. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say, I mean, people that join boards generally, um, we hope, and many, many are doing it for absolutely positive, magnanimous, awesome reasons. I personally feel that there's not a lot enough of a um, elements of board training and qualifications to be on boards. And mm -hmm. so I think that what happens is a lot of people that are on boards had never been on board before. They don't understand what it takes. So 
So that's the perspective of kind of where I'm going with this. But, but I think we should acknowledge the elephant in the room that a lot of nonprofits um, struggle because they have extremely weak boards. Yes. Yes. And, and a lot of it's learning, like you said, some of them, you, they have the skill to get you in the door of corporate America or to a vendor or et cetera. You know, they have to have some kind of, of connection. That's why you want them on your board. But the reality is they also have to make sure you have to make sure that they have the skills and, and it's not a, a, a technical skill. It's, it's more of a soft skill, right? Are they able to ask questions? Are they able to raise their hand when the elephants in the, in the room? Are they, and, and ask the question, are they able to, to have the time and the due diligence to look through the financials and understand the financials? If all they want to do is sit there and attend meetings, uh, that doesn't get us very far, right? There's, there's a lot that happens at, at the uh, operational level that they need to know about. And asking questions, being intuitive, I think also um, expressing examples, opening the door. I've seen a lot of boards succeed because the board members are so willing and humble to open the door and ask for that favor on behalf of the organization. Um, every organization goes through its up and downs. Nopody has just had a linear um, up work, uh, trend. So there's going to be times where the board needs to step in and, and say, hey, look, I can help you. Give a get, right? Whether you, you give us or you get something for the organization, that's that, also that's something that... Yeah, that's my number one piece of advice um, for organizations. You know, I'll talk to them. um, And these are usually, uh, this is kind of my general advice for organizations as well, but really for founders of nonprofits. Um, You know, I'll talk to them and lo and behold, they are just absolutely struggling financially. Uh, A lot of times they've incurred personal debt to get the organization Mm -hmm. going. And they're so passionate about what they're doing. um, And they'll tell me about their board. And I'll, you know, and I'll say, well, how, how are your board members supporting? They'll say, oh, well, I don't want to ask them of that. They're giving me their time. You know, they're, they're volunteering for meetings and this and that. And, you know, my perspective to anyone starting a nonprofit is have a board that is going to, just like what you said, give and get, you know, you're here to do it. So why don't you explain to us this give and get concept? Yeah. So I, I think the give and get, so to your point, they have to be willing to be humble enough either to give you the funds or give you the help. It doesn't have to always be funds. I mean, there was a time where um, we needed legal help and we couldn't afford the, the, to outsource that legal help. So there was a lawyer on the board. So he, with me, evaluated the contracts and made sure that if there was language that we could get out of the contract or negotiate, that we did, right? That's a give. I mean, his services are probably $5 an hour. He sat with me many hours. So he gave many dollars. Uh, others give, you know, they just, they have either they're too busy or they have the cash to be able to write a check and they write a check. Several of the alpha board members do that uh, year in, year out. So others have technology companies that where we didn't have a technology company right now, we're looking for learning management system. We happen to have a board member that is very specialized in that area. She's going to give her time and effort to uh, help us build that infrastructure or at least the business requirements to get us there. That's a gift. We could have never paid what we're paying her, um, which is nothing, uh, to any vendor out there. I mean, we've mm-hmm. gotten uh, quotes and, and they're horrendous. They're, they're large in, in scale and money. So we're going to leverage her. And I think that that's really a beauty of what you're saying is this idea of quantifying it. I mm-hmm. mean, 
clearly if someone writes you a check for $10,000, you know what that's worth, you know, that value. Um, but also, you know, thinking about quantifying, and I think you can do it through, if someone's giving you their time, you can know what they're typically would charge if it's a services and hourly rate, or if they're giving you some sort of call it product or, you know, tangible product or technology product, you can, um, shop around to see what that might be through a competitor. And then you can get a sense of if they're giving it to you for free or, you know, at a discount, you can quantify that, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of saying this to the, the, the typical nonprofit founder that's probably under, you know, 250,000, $500,000 in revenue. My opinion, I go a little bit, uh, stronger with it. I really look at it purely from a give and get from a financial perspective. So you can at least cover, you know, initial like costs. So mm-hmm. you pick out, you pick what the number is for ideally quote the budget. But I would say, I think in my opinion, a very reasonable ask of board members at minimum is to give or get $5,000 a piece. And the way that I would do that if I was running the organization would literally you either give me $5,000 or you go get five friends to donate a thousand each, you know, or however you want to break it up. So a lot of organizations just focus on that. Um, and this is even getting back in earlier, but a lot of people come to me asking about, um, that they want to start an organization. And my perspective is if you can't before really you put down any sort of true, true foundation of services, if you can't round up a board to get to, of let's say five people to give you a raise $25,000, you have the wrong pe- you have the wrong people involved you know um and or you don't have the right product you know or mission so yeah. and then you know when from day 1 when you start you're counting on you have that 25,000 or whatever you make at that 50 that 100,000 i mean i wouldn't even consider doing it if you couldn't raise 100,000 out of the gate um and, and well, and there's other ways, right? Yeah. Outside of cash, some some of the hardships in not-for-profits do, and and I, I see your point, going to the board. But then, how many times do you go to the same pocket? Mm-hmm. I think there's there's ways to be creative. Give or get does not mean you have to give from your pocket too. Like you said, get your friends to contribute. I did a lot of fundraising for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society when um, my cousin was going through cancer, and you know, sending emails, making the ask. I think another thing that I've learned in this society is it doesn't hurt to ask. What's the worst that can happen? They tell you no. Or worst comes to worst, you know what? You find an in-kind service. I've found many, in, in Alpha, we did this at the very beginning. We asked a lot of chapters to do this. And because we're so connected to corporate America, that is our funding stream, uh, they have offices. They have telecommunication. They have uh, food and beverage in their own premises. So all of that is, is just a matter of asking, hey, can you compensate us instead of monies? Can you compensate the food and beverage for our event? It's going to be $2,500. They pay the bill. Easy. Yep. It's just a matter of asking. No, absolutely. And I'm, I appreciate that you're giving that, that different perspective, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty opinionated, you know, <laughs> in, in my perspective. And again, no, I'm, I'm with just, you. I, I yeah. do agree that if, if you're going to be a board member, you have to be willing to put something on the table that is going to help the organization further. Yeah, and I'm also saying it from the perspective of the different stages of organizations. So a little bit of my give and get is at the very beginning, if you have an idea for a nonprofit and you wanna start it, how do you mm-hmm. validate that you're gonna be able to do it? A group you know, that I, and I've, they're a client of ours and I've also had them on the podcast is um, Friends of the Children. 
um, and they have different, um, they're, they're national, but then they have chapters, you know, in Austin, uh, many other okay. cities, including Austin. And one of the things that their founding, um, that their founder did uh, for the Austin chapter um, was that she went around and put together a board and had them make three-year commitments. So she knew, and you know, these uh, yeah. things can fall through, things can happen, but you know, you have some diversification when you have 10 board members on it. She knew that, hey, I can count on these 10 people over the next three years. So I know that when I'm starting already that I'm gonna have, you know, I can hire staff, Mm-hmm. I have the funds, things of that sort. And so I think people will get lost in that a bit. I think it's important if you yeah. can to make a multi-year commitment because um, 12 months can go by really quickly. <laughs> yeah, as long, yeah, as long as you make sure that in your financials, you're reporting that um, multi-year and not all in one year, which can get you in trouble. But, that's, uh, for the, yes. that's our next episode when you're going you're gonna to go into that. I want to, on a really practical point, one of the things when we were chatting last week one-on-one that you really taught me about, and I should have known this more because uh, I grew up, my, my great-grandfather was an attorney, grandfather was an attorney, my brother, uh, father, <laughs> two uncles, aunt, everyone. Oh my so goodness, I did ask my, you're surrounded. <laughs> I know. So I should have really known what this was. Um, um, but you brought up this concept of force majeure. Mm-hmm. So this is a practical tip as we round this out. Can you explain mm-hmm. what force majeure is um, and how you know, nonprofits may be able to use it to their advantage? Because I think a lot of, it may be in the contracts of a lot of nonprofits listening to this and they have no clue what it is and they feel beholden um, to certain commitments that they've signed. Yeah, so I don't know the technical definition of force majeure, but how it, it's, it's presented in, in legal structure is that if something unnatural happens, um, it's, a, it's a method of you trying to get, a, get out of a contract, whether it's a, um, I don't know, let's, let's think of Katrina in Hurricane Louisiana, right? If you had an event, one of the hotels, you could hold the hotel to a force majeure because unnaturally, there was no way you can control that from not happening and impacting your event. Uh, in today's environment with the coronavirus, force majeure could come in play. You just have to look at your contract and see how detailed it is around the force majeure. I know we're looking at our convention. Our convention's in August. It's in Las Vegas. And we're looking to see if force majeure comes into play so that we can negotiate out of the contract and not have a big impact to Alpha. Um, our legal team is still looking at it right now, but it is something that's uh, something we're looking into. So I would suggest everybody look at their contract to see if, if there's a force majeure in there and if there's a, a possibility that you could use or leverage the coronavirus instance that we're in right now to uh, either get out of the contract or uh, extend it to a further period, future period. And, and I even, I want to thank you. I brought this up. I told a friend of mine um, is an accomplished uh, dentist, uh, owns and runs his own dental practice. And we were just chatting about it. And he was, you know, explaining to me naturally, like how they're shut down, how, you know, all the challenges that he's dealing with, with um, just keep, you know, that they're going to get through this and all that, but you know, that they're looking at different contracts and things and, and how they can renegotiate things over the next, you know, few months. And I brought up to him this concept of force majeure. And he said, you know what, I'm going to start looking at that closer. Nobody had brought that up to him at all. So Again, awesome. you know, one of the things I did also just on a practical note, Selene, that, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would say to nonprofits, I opened up a few of our contracts and I just did a, um, a, a search and find like where you can do phrases. I put in force majeure and it was right in there. 
So mm-hmm. unbeknownst to me, I mean, I'm just saying it is what it is. Like I'm not an attorney, so I don't yeah. necessarily remember every clause of everything I've ever signed, but it was in a bunch of our contracts and I don't need to personally get out of those right you know, now and whatever. It's, we're fine at Charity Charge, but I was like, wow, now I know about this for the future. This is really yeah. interesting. It's, it's, it's in probably in every uh, contractual obligation, it, it's probably in there somehow. So, it, I mean, it's, it's a way out for them as a vendor and us as a service, as a uh, customer. So definitely look into it and make sure that you have somebody legally um, help you understand what are the open loops that you can go through to figure out if you want to, like, you know, some organizations are fine, you know, their events are in November. So they're still looking at, Hey, we're going to have it. But if you're not and you're close to the June, July timeframe, you really do need to look, look at your contracts. Yep. And if they die in there, go, go ahead and put them in there. Because, again, we're at the mercy of nature sometimes, right? Whether it's a hurricane or whether it's a, a virus or whether it's a, a fire, right? There, there's things that we cannot control and we need to make sure that we are uh, protected. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point, too. You know, I think right now there's both a, if they're in your contracts, there's a practical thing you could do, but it's also a learning opportunity where, I'm realizing now personally at charity charge, I mean, there's always some negotiation depending on leverage and contracts and whatnot. I can't mm-hmm. imagine moving forward ever signing anything without it having a force majeure. <laughs> force majeure. I need to get some counsel from an attorney like to rec- but, but that's my perspective. So a lot of nonprofits might look at some of their contracts and it's not in there, but now you know in the future that this is a type of clause and obviously talk to your attorney and everything, but um, yeah, something to, to think about putting in moving forward and, and get creative. I, I know the other, th- the other thing we don't have in place is, and again, we work with a uh, fortune 500 as our fund, uh, funders. They're our primary funders and people are asking, well, do we have a refund policy in our agreements with them? And the answer is no, we don't have a refund policy, but we've never had to give a refund policy. But again, I, I always go back to what, well, why, why did they do the contribution, right? Why did they decide to fund us? Uh, is it for a service? Is it for an obligation? Is it just to check the box? And once you identify the reason for it, then you work through that reason and try to negotiate, okay, well, we can still give you that service. So there's, you shouldn't be able to get a refund. Mm-hmm. So again, be creative, be smart, um, you know, con- keep your mission and uh, purpose front and center of your compass and make sure that when you're discussing, discussing any agreements with your funders, and they're, they're wanting to either pull back or, um, or, or get their money back is, again, what was the reason why you, you did this? And let's work on that reason because we could still deliver, right? We may be virtual, but we could still deliver. And, and Alpha is a proof in point that we are still engaging our members, our corporate America, and we're going to have the talent for them when they need it as soon as um, this is all over. And for everyone, you've been so kind and generous giving us your wisdom and time. Um, I want to make sure that people, again, I know you talked about it a little bit, but if people are interested in learning more about Alpha, um, how can they get involved? How can they learn more? And, and again, can you talk about your kind of target audience of who you're serving to, to, to also get sure. the word out about that? So we say we are, um, the Alpha acronym stands for Association for Latino Professionals for America. But we are here for America. Hispanic or not Hispanic, as long as you're Hispanic friendly we're happy to have you. We do focus on the college graduate and grad student in any business major. That is our 90,000 members that make up. But at the end of the day, during our convention, during our member uh, events, during our regional symposiums for students, we see 
everybody and anybody. So anybody looking for a job, anybody looking for career guidance, anybody looking for a way to catapult themselves in a corporation on anything, anybody looking for financial um, guidance, right? Uh, we have a CEO that is, is very, very um, knowledgeable and very um, has done very well in his career. So he has a lot of wisdom and guidance to give our, our members. So listen to one of his podcasts, listen to one of his webinars, uh, go to one of our events and let him, uh, have him speak to you. It's, it's amazing what, one thing I have learned about Alpha is the, the passion in the individuals, the passion in the students, the passion in the mentors, the passion in the corporate, I mean, I've met so many corporate people that have been in their companies 20, 25 years. And from the day they stepped in and they're still there, Alpha is still at the forefront of their uh, funding list. So just, just a great organization to get involved with. Um, hopefully you can uh, get to know us a little bit better, whether it's on the website, alpha.org or in one of our programs. I love what you're doing. Um, I really, really appreciate all of your um, just friendship and collaboration and sharing, sharing all of this with us. And um, I also just want to thank and appreciate everyone that's been um, supportive of Charity Charge and what we're doing. I know a lot of friends and family have been reaching out to us. We're doing fine. We're working pretty much, you know, completely remote. Um, and uh, I think in this time of need, we're just trying to do more and more. So thanks to everyone that's part of our community and Selene for being a part of our family. Thank you, Stephen. Together we can do anything. You got it. I love the positivity and enthusiasm. All right, we're signing off here. Uh, Catch you all in the next episode.